All right, good morning. <coughs> As I get choked up. <coughs> I do have a lot, of gr- <coughs> a lot of drainage in that, so I apologize up front if I make some ugly noises. <coughs> it's not intentional. <coughs> anyway, Tur- take your Bible this morning and turn to 2 Thessalonians, if you would. 2 Thessalonians. Last week we were, we, well, last couple weeks we looked at some Psalms. Last week we looked at Psalm 2. And it, uh, among other descriptions, it's a prophetic psalm that's, that's basically talking about a future event. Now, there's, there's also a way in which it kind of portrays the attitude of man since Adam's sin and just the progression all along down through, <clears throat> down through time as far as man's rebellion against God. But uh, it is referring specifically to a future event and uh, which we talked about a little bit in, in the context of that psalm. And so I've been, uh, been thinking about things. Anyway, I wanted to take just a detour this morning and, and kind of chase that theme for, for this morning. Um, when you think about Bible prophecy, well, any, any, just backing up for a second, what we looked at last week in Psalm 2, does anybody remember what event that that psalm was prophesying about? All right. And how does that fit? Uh, how do I ask this question? How does that fit into what we know of as far as the scope of Bible prophecy events? Um, what do we, let me, let me just put it this way, all right? When we think of the future, does the Bible tell us a lot about the future? That, that's kind of a, a relative question, all right? Because in a way it does, in a way it doesn't. There's, there's a lot we know, and there's a lot the Bible talks about, but there are a lot of details and, and uh, things that God does withhold from us. And there's reasons that He has for doing that, of course. Um, he could have told us a whole lot more, uh, perhaps, than what He did, but He chose to reveal the things that He did. And uh, when you think about, just for time's sake this morning, let me just do it this way. When you think about prophecy, Bible prophecy, the big picture, okay, future events and so on, uh, I think it's fair that you can summarize what the Bible tells us about the future with four, uh, and just ignore my hands. Whenever I say numbers and I hold up my hands, it usually doesn't match, okay? (laughs) That's just the way it is. All right, four events, you know. I don't know why, but it, it, I, I, I never noticed that until somebody pointed it out to me and was like, oh, yeah, well, anyway. But four events, okay, that you can kind of summarize what the Bible tells us about the future, about prophecy and so on. And so let me just write these up here, and then we'll talk about these very briefly, and then we want to look at a particular passage of Scripture. Now, in case you can't read my chicken scratch, I can uh, tell you what that says. But uh, the rapture, all right? What, what do we, when we think about the rapture, what, what is the rapture, all right? 
Now again, that could, we could take a lot of time just fielding questions in that, but so the rapture is an event that the Bible talks a lot about, particularly the New Testament, in fact, only the New Testament. The Old Testament doesn't talk about the rapture whatsoever, um, but the New Testament tells us about the rapture. The rapture is an event, and I'm not going to take time to write all this up there because it'd take me too long, but the rapture is an event where the Lord Jesus is going to return in the air and at that time he's going to catch out snatch out catch away uh, the saints those that are his right and at the same time there's there's a lot of in in all four of these because i'm summarizing with just four events there's a lot that's involved in each one of these there there could be a lot of you know sub points details and so on but the rapture, the Lord Jesus returns in the air to call out, to catch out those that are His. That also involves the physical resurrection of New Testament saints that have already physically died. All right, Their bodies, for instance, are in the ground. I mean, some are, of course, in the sea, in the sea and various things, but they're going to be resurrected at that time. Living New Testament believers are going to be resurrected without having died. All right, We're going to experience resurrection change without having died. Uh, but the rapture, the difference is Christ returns in the air, not to the earth, literally, all right? The tribulation, the tribulation is a time, uh, a seven-year period of time, according to uh, Daniel chapter 9, where uh, you could just summarize it this way, that God's going to uh, allow and then pour out judgment on this world such as never been seen heretofore. Uh, and, and really the main purposes of the tribulation are, first of all, to punish sin, to punish man's wickedness, and secondly, to purge the nation of Israel and prepare a remnant of Israel for something specific, which then we see the second coming, the second coming of Christ, sometimes called the revelation. Uh, the second coming of Christ is when the Lord Jesus literally returns to the earth not just in the air, but he literally returns to the earth. And there's a number of things that happen. But at that point in time uh, is when what we talked about last week, the Battle of Armageddon, all right? The, the, when, when man thinks he is going to be able to resist the Son of God coming back to earth and is going to really literally set himself and oppose, try to, try to oppose him, all right, it will be a very futile attempt, of course, uh, because what we saw last week in Revelation 19, I mean, the Lord Jesus just speaks and it's done. I mean, there's, you know, and, and I can imagine all the arsenals and armies and everything of this, of this world ready, thinking they're going to do battle, and they don't even get, they don't even get the chance to, to pull a trigger, so to speak. Right? But the Lord Jesus literally returns to this earth. He's going to execute some judgments, all right? and he's going to set up a kingdom here on this earth. And then that leads to the fourth. The millennium all right, is a, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, which is the subject of many, many Old Testament prophecies, as well as the second coming proper. Uh, of, of, and and it, it'll be a time, of course, when the Lord literally fulfills all His promises that are yet to be fulfilled to the nation of Israel and so on. Um, and so, um, and there's other things, of course, that finish that out and, and so on. But in the big picture, okay, I'm just, the big picture, you could summarize uh, 
future events, I think, with those four things fairly. Again, there's a lot of details after that. There's other judgments and various things, but uh, somehow or another, they all kind of have to do with, with these things. Now, here's the thing. How do we know? Now, I did write these the way, the way I put that. These are what we would believe the order of those events, but how do we know that that's the case? All right, again, that could be a loaded question, all right, but, and I'm just asking it for it to get you to think, and then I'll, I'll answer it here, but um, in, in, well, let me, let me ask you this question before I write anything up here, all right? If there was one portion of the Bible that you would turn to, all right, automatically, I mean, just, if, if you could only turn to one, all right, and by that I mean such as, like, a book of the Bible, all right? Uh, if you could only turn to one to think about what the Bible has to say about the future, what would that book be? All right? Now, I can't answer for you, but I think I just heard a whisper there. But most likely, I would think most people would think of the book of Revelation. All right? Which is a good answer to that. All right? And in that, all right, we would say we can be sure that these events happen in this order because of what the book of Revelation teaches. And in the book of Revelation, you see these events unfolding in that particular order. Now, you'll notice I left one of those blank. All right, the rapture. Do you realize the rapture is a lot harder, if you want to say, to pinpoint with a so-called proof text, the timing of it, when it happens. However, it's not impossible, and I believe we can fairly uh, say with confidence where, you know, when the rapture happens. Now, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I read this, but uh, the, 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 this church's official position is that the rapture happens before the tribulation time, all right? That it's, and, th and there's different words that you've probably heard uh, that are used to describe that. Everybody, anybody ever heard the term the pre-trib rapture? Right? In other words, we believe that the rapture happens pre or before the tribulation time. There are other positions on that, which I think can really rather easily be refuted from Scripture. But uh, um, Interestingly enough, all right, again, we mentioned the book of Revelation, but do you realize that there's nowhere in the book of Revelation that, and I'm going to word it this way, categorically specifies the rapture and when it happens, which is an interesting, an interesting thing, okay? But, uh, I mean, there are pictures of it and various things, but there's nowhere that says, this is the rapture, all right? Um, and so by comparing a lot of other scriptures and so on, I think that we can fairly, uh, again, be confident with, uh, with when, what the rapture is, when it happens. There are several, uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, those are two passages that have some length to them that describe to us the rapture, what it is, what happens in the rapture, and so on. But again, those passages don't necessarily tell us when the rapture happens, and, and so on. So again, I think there's, there's uh, we, we have to be careful again, but I think that there is a, a way to, uh, uh, to come to a biblical 
uh, answer to that, and probably, in my opinion, the best the best passage of scripture for that is the one in did I uh, what did I ask you to turn to Second Thessalonians? Did I say chapter two? All right, that's where we're going to look uh, here this morning. But Second um, Thessalonians chapter two, the books of First and Second Thessalonians, little short letters, right? Uh, of course, the Apostle Paul, the human writer and uh, written to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, two short letters, really, but yet they are uh, they're, they're intense, if I could say it that way, with the theme of the second coming of Christ, particularly the rapture. Uh, and I did mention before that the rapture is not prophesied about, is not talked about in the Old Testament. The second coming of Christ is... And there's reasons for that, all right? Uh, the, set, the, the rapture is an event that concerns Christ and his New Testament saints. It doesn't really pertain to the nation of Israel. That doesn't mean that Jews won't be part of it, all right? People that are Jewish who are saved will be part of that, but it doesn't pertain to the nation of Israel, so to speak. It pertains to the Lord and uh, his New Testament saints, and I could even say to his churches, but we'll... Uh, we'll uh, just leave it at that for right now. All right, and again, 1 uh, Corinthians 15, particularly verses 15 and following in that chapter, and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, give us really the, big, the, the good portrait of what happens at the rapture. All right, and um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so uh, those passages are very important, but again, thinking of when does the rapture happen? Uh, I did mention that uh, really categorically, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to word this carefully, okay? Categorically, per se, you will not see the rapture mentioned in the book of Revelation. But I do think there are some references to it, okay? Uh, in the book of Revelation, the, the book of Revelation is written to seven churches, all right? Uh, now, I think it's intended for all the Lord's churches, but seven churches named, and there's reasons for those seven and various things. In fact, as you're aware, the first, uh, well, chapters two and three contain seven letters, seven epistles from the Lord Jesus to those seven churches, all right? In fact, it's interesting when you think of New Testament epistles, those seven letters are often never thought about. But they're New Testament epistles in reality. And they're written to the Lord's churches in a general sense because every one of those letters has a statement in it. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. All right? Now, so in other words, every one of those letters was written to a specific church, specific reasons, specific issues, and so on. But yet it's intended for more than just that church. It's intended for the churches. All right? In the beginning, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, I'm trying to be quick at this, lay this out, and then I want to get to this passage, okay? But you hear, you, you have Revelation 1, 19, Jesus, John sees a great vision of the Lord Jesus, all right? He hears a voice, he turns to see him, and that, to me, that, that is an amazing passage in itself. Uh, he turns to see, and, and, and think of this, I think John knew full well who was talking to him. He turns to see who's talking, and he sees seven golden candlesticks. That's what verse 13 of Revelation 1 says. And 
in the midst of those candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Then he goes into this wonderful description that he sees, right? But it's interesting that he saw, the first thing that he saw was the churches. Then he sees, I mean, he sees the Lord in the midst of his churches. Anyway, there's a lot involved in that. But you get to verse 19, and Jesus tells John to write the things that he had seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And if you, you look at that, that is really the outline of what the book of Revelation tells us. Right? The things which, are, which he had seen would have been, of course, that vision and so on up to that point. And then the things which are, the matters of the churches, the letters to the seven churches, and then the things which shall be hereafter, verse, or chapter 4 and following in the book of Revelation. In fact, verse, four, verse 1 of chapter 4 says, uh, in fact, turn there real quick, hold your place in 2 Thessalonians, but chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, and we'll have everybody read in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians here in just a minute. Chapter 4, Revelation, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Falls right in line with the statement in verse of the third statement in verse 19 of chapter 1, where Jesus told John to write the things which he had seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And verse, or chapters 4 through the end of the book of Revelation is the things of the future yet. And they are still future from our perspective right now. All right? And uh, it's interesting that, you know, the, the verse 1, John is called up to heaven. He hears a voice saying, come up hither. He's called up to heaven to be shown the things that are going to happen on the earth. That's an interesting whole scenario there. But again, I, I, I believe it fairly, okay, I think it's fair to say in, the, in, a, in a cautious context, right? This pictures the rapture, but it doesn't call it the rapture, okay? And it doesn't per se say it is, but it pictures what happens at the rapture. God's people are going to be taken to heaven before the events that follow here on the earth unfold as are shown in the book of Revelation, all right? Um, but John's taken to heaven to be shown the things that are unfolding, happening here on earth. Now, there's different, and, and, and basically the book of Revelation unfolds in a chronological way. There's different pauses, and, you know, people, you're, after an event happens, there's some chapters that go back and, and talk in detail about the different characters that are involved in those scenes and so on. But it basically follows in a, in a chronological fashion. And uh, so, so you have that. Um, verse, look at, if you're there, uh, it might even be on the same page. It is on mine here. In, in chapter 3... One of the letters to one of these churches, the, the church at Philadelphia, if you look at verse 10, um, this is, and every one of these letters are constructed very similar, okay, the, as far as what the content of them is and, and, and uh, the Lord's addressing things and, and so on. Then there's, there's promises made to these churches and so on, promises to the overcomers and so on. But verse 10, Jesus says these words to the church at Philadelphia, because thou hast kept the word of my patience... I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. 
Now, some people argue that this can't be talking about the rapture because it's, it's just a promise to one of these churches, right? However, again, remember all these letters are, are applicable to all the Lord's churches here. Uh, but at the same time, I think this is an interesting statement that the Lord Jesus says. Uh, he's, gonna, he's promising to keep them from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. This certainly seems to be a reference to the tribulation, right? Obviously, there's been, ever since man's been on the earth and living in sin, there's been times of tribulation, so to speak, as far as testings, trials. There's been the great plagues and various things. But there's coming a time when, when this world will see trouble as it's never seen before and on an unprecedented scale. I mean, we're talking like global and, and so on. And when you read the, the things that uh, the book of Revelation talks about, these are very intense, traumatic things, and again, worldwide. Things that when, with some of those judgments, some of the trumpet judgments, for instance, I mean, that judgment is unleashed on the world and a third of the world's population dies. I mean, that's significant, okay? Uh, and... and, and so it, it certainly seems to be, to be describing that tribulation time, time when all the world, all right, uh, it's going to come on all the world and it's, uh, it's going to try them. The idea is to, to test them that dwell on the earth, all right? But he says to this church, he's going to keep them from the hour of temptation. Two things about that. He doesn't say here that he's going to keep them through the tribulation, he says he's going to keep them from, the particular word from here is the idea of out of, not just like from in any kind of other context, but it's out of, and notice it says from the hour of, tri of this tribulation, the timing of it. Again, there's, there's principles here that certainly apply uh, to the rapture and so on here. Now, in go back to 2 Thessalonians, all right, we're going to have to do this quick, but in, in 2 Thessalonians, again, follows 1 Thessalonians. Now, 1 Thessalonians, the rapture was talked about in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 5, after chapter 4, the end of it has that, that big section talking about what happens at the rapture, all right, the unfolding of the rapture. Chapter 5 then addresses the subject of the day of the Lord, which is not the rapture, all right, it's... Uh, uh, it would involve the tribulation. In fact, it's probably most often uh, in reference to things involved with the tribulation, it, but it involves a lot of things uh, from the tribulation on. Second uh, Peter, for instance, uses the, the term the day of the Lord in, in uh, the context of the final, you know, when God's going to destroy the earth, all right? Then there's going to be a new heaven, new earth, all right? Uh, but so the, the tribulation certainly fits into that. But what I'm getting at is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, all right, you'll see statements like this and kind of throughout 1 Thessalonians. But look in verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at first glance, that might, and especially if we're not looking at the context in detail, might seem that's just a generic promise of salvation. You know, we're not... We're not, uh, the person who's saved is not going to face hell and so on, which is true, 
But in this context, the wrath here is not talking about hell. It's talking about the wrath of judgment on this world, all right? And God's New Testament believers, let me say it that way, are not appointed to be subjects of God's wrath as is poured out on this world. We've been, we've been, our salvation is different. It, it, we've been saved from that. Wrath is both soteriological. It, it pertains to salvation, but it also pertains to future events. All right? And that's the context of it there. Uh, I certainly believe in 1 Thessalonians 5. So you get to 2 Thessalonians. All right? We're trying to get here. 2 Thessalonians, you get to the second letter. It's a follow-up from the first letter. And obviously there were still some concerns and confusions. And if you look at... Uh, well, let's do this. Let's go around the room and read. We'll, we'll start up here with, with Pastor Brinker, and then I won't read, I guess, and I, I'm without stopping to count. There's close to the number of, of verses and people here. So chapter 2, let's read the first 12 verses only. We'll stop at verse 12, all right? So if you'll start with verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity that only ye who now live will live unto ye be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. All right, and we'll stop right there, because that's kind of the subject in that section, that paragraph in chapter 2 there. It's dealing with the rapture. It's dealing with uh, these, this event, these events that we're talking about here. And, you know, we could ask the question, could, could Christ come back today? All right. Um, when, you, when you think of this, all right, again, obviously there was some confusion still on the part of these believers because of, uh, not just because of a misunderstanding, if you want to say, maybe of what Paul had taught them, but because of other influences. Notice in um, verse 1, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Again, this, this describes the rapture, what we talk about in the rapture, not the second coming of Christ to the earth, but that's, you know, John 14, 3, for instance, Jesus said, and if I go away, I will come again. And what? And receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Again, that's not talking about the second coming Christ to the earth, it's talking about him coming and getting those that are his to go be with him, all right? 
Um, but uh, confusion abounds on these matters. In fact, there's three main, uh, if you want to say, thoughts in these 12 verses, and the first one has to do with that. I do have these alliterated for whatever that's worth, but you see the perplexity of the saints here. There, there was some confusion. All right, in the first couple verses, you see this. He says that ye be not soon, verse 2, shaken in mind or troubled. Don't get all rattled up because of what you see going on around or with what you hear being said. All right, that's, that's the bottom line is we can trust what the Bible teaches, what the Bible tells us. All right, I mean, we have what we need is the point. All right, but don't be all rattled up because of seeing and hearing these things is the idea. In fact, he says, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as, a, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, uh, he, he references several ways here in which they probably had, get, had gotten some false information. In fact, the last one, as of letter as by us. It, it's a, lot of, a lot of Bible students think that, that somebody had forged a letter from Paul to this church to get them all confused on this matter. You know, and, and Paul's saying, don't, don't, don't believe all that kind of stuff. And so uh, you see this, this perplexity of the saints here as, as they're, uh, and there's a lot of people today, uh, a lot of people that are all confused and perplexed and I mean, there's been all kinds of people over the years that have uh, purported to have, they've, they've come to the day, you know, in other words, they've come to the answer as to when the rapture is going to happen, when the Lord's going to return. How many of you remember probably the biggest example I can think of in recent time was Harold Camping, remember from a number of years ago? What was it? 2011, May, in fact, he was very specific, May 21st, 2011, at 6 p.m. Now, interestingly enough, the Lord Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. And I've heard people before say, well, that doesn't mean you can't know the month or the year. <laughs> well, the whole point of that statement is we don't know exactly when the rapture will happen. And signs that we read about in the Bible, by the way, are not pointing to the rapture. The signs that you see in the New Testament are talking about the second coming of Christ. Right? It's not pointing to the rapture. The whole idea of the rapture is in the Bible, the, everybody familiar with the word imminent? All right? And that word means it's about to happen. It could happen any time, right? And the whole point of the rapture is, the believers, from the believer's perspective, is that it is imminent. It could happen any time. We don't know when it's going to happen. And do you realize that is one of the, that's, look, really, that is the great motivation in the New Testament for believers to be obedient to Christ. Because the rapture could happen at any time. And uh, you know, we don't know when. There are some things that God has chosen to not tell us. Uh, I mean, in, in Acts 1, you know, the, 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 uh, before the record of Christ's ascension there, the, uh, the, the disciples, they asked, you know, are you going to set up your kingdom at this time? And his answer was, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father hath put in his own power. That idea of power is his own right. In other words, there are some things that God says, I'm the only one that has the right to know this. You're not going to know it. 
And despite all these people saying, well, you can know. And by the way, Harold Camping was not anywhere near the first. Uh, everybody's heard of the Seventh-day Adventist. Their founder, Ellen White, she made all kinds of, speci I mean, just kept changing it to this and that and the other. And I don't know if she finally gave up or what. She's dead now, but uh, she gave up in that sense, I guess. But, uh, you know, I mean, people in, in 1844, there was a guy named William Miller who convinced a bunch of people that the rapture was going to happen in, at a certain point, And they had to go, they went up on a, on a hill and camped out there waiting for the rapture to happen. Of course, it never happened. I mean, but these things, they not only create confusion among, if you want to say, Christians, although, you know, Christians don't have to be swayed by this stuff, but it soils the name of Christ in the world. I mean, it gives it a black eye. There were, after Harold Camping, remember the, the bill, there were billboards. I remember all over this area, billboards that they had put up, you, or we can know, I think is what it was, and it had like a website, and then you can go for the details of his specifics on the rapture was going to happen on this time and so on. Um, and then following that, and of course it not happening, there were a number of billboards that atheist groups put up saying, we can't know, we don't know, things of that. I mean, of course, mocking is the idea. And that kind of stuff, it just, it, you know, it doesn't help the cause of Christ, obviously, and the, the devil certainly loves that. But, but you have this appeal here for, to be stable saints. You have the acceptance of settled scripture and doctrine, right? There's things we can know, and we need to focus on those. And the things we don't know, just, you know, leave them in the Lord's hands. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, there's the, the verse there, it says this, the, uh, the secret things belong unto the Lord. The things that he has revealed belong unto us and our children. In other words, there are some things God just said, this is mine, it's not yours. You don't have any right to know this, so to speak. And, and we need to accept that. But the whole, the whole point in the New Testament of Christ, of the rapture, is it could happen at any time. From, from Matthew through Revelation, that's, that's the whole point of the rapture. It could happen any time, right? <coughs> Excuse me. But so, so notice now we start to see some specifics here about this, and i got to hurry. But look at, in verses 3 through 8 in chapter 2, you can see what we could call the platform of the season. You see the perplexity of the saints, all right? There's this, there's going to be, you know, there's confusion and so on among some people and all this, and then ridicule and so on when, when things that people say are going to happen don't happen and all this kind of stuff. But down in verse 3, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. All right, in these verses, there's a lot here, but he says in verse uh, 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, 
except, now that's supplied, you know, it's in italics, it's supplied by the translators to try to complete the thought here, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So he does say that there are certain things, we can't, there are certain things we're going to know, okay, about this, and then, but what day is he talking about? Well, in verse 2, it ends with the day of Christ, right? There's different designations for things in the scriptures. This is one, day of Christ. There's the day of the Lord. We already, I already mentioned that, that statement there. The day of the Lord, and, and in some ways they're very much associated, right? The day of, let me just cut to the chase of it here. The day of Christ is different from the day of the Lord, but yet it is the same in other ways. Um, because the emphasis, in fact, there's only about six, six passages in the New Testament that contain that phrase, the day of Christ. There's many that have the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is always associated with judgment, with God's judgment being poured out on this world. The day of Christ is a term of a day of blessing to look forward to for Christ's people, for God's people. And uh, in fact, let me, I, I have those verses printed out here. Let me find them real quick here, and I'll try to... 1 Corinthians, all right, chapter 1, particularly verse 8, says that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse uh, 5 of chapter 5, talking about the man that was living in sin, and they were to, the church was to discipline him. It says that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 14, we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours, in the day of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 1, verse 6 uh, he which hath begun a good work, and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Verse uh, 16 of chapter 2, that I, may re that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And then our passage here in um, 2 uh, Thessalonians. But you can see every one of these are, seem to be talking about a time that when believers are with the Lord Jesus. All right? So if, just think about this logically for a second. If that's the case, that would have to be after the rapture. Because right now, where are believers? At least living believers, all right? Here, now the, you know, the spirit, souls of deceased New Testament believers are with the Lord. But, but obviously, the, the, the implication is, uh, you know, categorically speaking, believers right now, we're here. All right, there's coming a time, and the purpose of the rapture is for believers to be gathered to be with the Lord, right? And so the emphasis of the, the term day of Christ ha seems to always be pertaining to that, the time when believers are with Christ. And there is some references there to rewards and so on as well, but at the day of Christ, all right? So we would, we would say that based on comparing Scripture with Scripture, that the day of Christ is referring to a time when the rapture has already taken place, and believers are with him, all right? And he's telling the, the, the folks in the church at Thessalonica to not be all shaken up or deceived because that the day of Christ has happened, that they've somehow missed it, all right? Don't. And then he says, because, and he says, these certain things have to happen before the day of Christ, okay? Now, again, timing-wise... You could think of it this way, kind of in line with the book of Revelation, all right? In these chapters and so on in the book of Revelation, you have the events here on the earth 
happening, which is the tribulation. At the same time, you have things happening in heaven that are scenes in heaven that are believers with the Lord. All right? And so, timing-wise, day of Christ, day of Lord, they're not one and the same, but they basically are coinciding in time, parallel in time. All right? So you have... You have um, because I, and I, I put a little bit of emphasis on that because there are some people that would have the same position on the rapture that we would, but they would teach this passage and say that, you know, that the day of Christ is a wrong uh, translation. You know, it's not a wrong translation, specifically in the Greek. It's the exact words, okay? But the idea is they would say it should, be, it should have said day of Lord because it's too confusing. Well, not really if you look at what the Bible says about the day of Christ and, and so on, all right? And you compare the two. Timing-wise, you could say, yeah, they're happening at the same time, but they're not the same. They're, this is happening in heaven. This is happening on earth, all right? And so you have the, the platform. Now, notice he specifies several things that have to happen. He says that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. So... A falling away, literally an apostasy. That's the idea. All right? The, there's going to be a great apostasy. Now, I, I would say uh, we're relatively the same age. So in our lifetime, you look at things happening in Christianity, and I use that term light, you know, loosely, but I mean in, in the scope of what's considered Christendom, I mean, there's been a lot of changes from what used to be what you could say, although there were differences of doctrine still and everything 50 years ago, all right, but there, was, there, would, there was still would have been a lot more kind of the same direction among those that considered themselves to be Christian. Nowadays, there's all kinds of stuff all over the place. And I, I printed something off and I debated about reading this, but... I don't know that I'll read the whole thing now because of time's sake, but this was in, some of you might have, I, I think Tim still might read it. I don't know if Andy reads it or Brother Brinker reads it, but the uh, Friday Church News Notes from David Cloud, do you, do you get that? I mean, it, it, and there's these, you know, it's just news things about what's, what's happening in the, in the world and in the so-called Christian world and things. But there's the, in, in the one from, that came out Friday, uh, this is the title, Hymn Society Publishes Songs for Queers. And I'm not going to read all this, but um, Hymn Society, which was formed 100 years ago, anyway, uh, let me see if I can read their statement. It says, the Hymn Society was founded in 1922 for those people who believe that congregational song is an integral component of worship believe that the writing and singing of new texts and tunes needs to be promoted and value learning about the origins of the words and music they sing. Kind of a generic purpose statement, okay? But, I mean, you know, hey, we would say that congregational singing is important and so on. It's biblical, by the way, um, and, and, and so on. But, I mean, but think of that. In 100 years, this is where they are now, that they've now published a... A, uh, a series of songs that glorify homosexuality. <laughs> I mean, now, and I'm not trying to pick on, you know, a lot of times in, in our types of churches, you know, preachers rant and rave about homosexuality and all this, and, and it is sin. It's sin. It's perversion. There's no, there's no doubt about that. 
from, a Bi- from the Bible's perspective, all right, there's doubt in other people's mind. But from the Bible's perspective, there's no doubt about that. Now, let me just hasten to say, there's a lot of other stuff that's perversion and abomination and so on as well. All right, it's not like we're just picking on that particular sin, all right? I mean, you know, adultery and fornication, whether, you know, heterosexual is still wickedness and wrong, okay, just as much as it's ever been. Drinking, I mean, you know, the whole, everything. Pride, that's where it hits more home with us, right? Gossip, and I mean, that's, that, all that stuff still just as much sin as it ever was, okay? But one of the things is, okay, you look at the, the outward expression and progression of sin in our age, it's certainly, there's a, there's a degrading that has taken place to where something of this sort is promoted by Christianity, or at least an element of Christianity. Do you realize, I mean, Baptists are not really Protestants, okay? And I, I would imagine everybody is aware, understands that. But the Southern Baptist Convention is considered, by the world or whatever, considered the largest Protestant denomination there is, all right? Out of sheer numbers. Do you realize that the Southern Baptist Convention is entertaining? I mean, a great portion of it has promoted already, put forth. I don't think it's passed yet in their meetings. They just had their annual meeting. I don't think it passed. But they're promoting. There's a great segment of Southern Baptists that are promoting the idea of, you know, that we ought to accept homosexuality and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's amazing to think about. Even 50 years ago, the Southern Baptists would never even have ever, I mean, the, 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 the leading Southern Baptist preachers were men like uh, J. Harold Smith and R.G. Lee, who was at, in Memphis. And I mean, <laughs> the, you know, uh, but today, again, you just look at where, where it's come from. And I'm, I'm running out of time here. But, but you, you see certain things that the Bible says are going to happen. A great apostasy. The Bible describes, in fact, it's one of the great themes of the New Testament is warning of apostasy. Every, I mean, uh, as far as I know, every New Testament writer warns of it. Peter and Paul both very prominently warn of apostasy. Apostasy's coming. Now, I don't believe God's, you know, true believers can apostatize, but as far as, I mean, the churches are warned of it. So, you know, the whole point is churches are going to go that way. Uh, and so on. But it's a, it's a major theme of the New Testament. There will be a great falling away. In fact, not just some, but a great falling away. I don't even know if we've ever, we've even begun to see what it's going to be like. I mean, but, but also, not just the apostasy, and again, there's a lot we could talk about with just that, but you see the great imposter. Now notice again, verses 3 through 6 here, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So the day of Christ in heaven, the day of the Lord here on the earth, it's not going to happen until certain things happen here. Now, if you want to say signs for the rapture, all right, again, these are not pointing to the rapture, but they're pointing to what's happening after the rapture. So as we see these things happening, obviously it makes us think, okay, the rapture we would think is soon, could be today, right? Could be a hundred years from now. I don't know, but uh, 
there will be a great imposter coming. He'll be the combination of all that is evil. I mean, notice the description. We read it already. You all read it, and then I reread several of these verses here. But he, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That coincides, by the way, with Revelation chapter 13. You read the description of the great beast there, and I mean, that's exactly what he does. He demands to be worshipped and outlaws every other thing. Now, up until that point, all right, I, th I think that coincides with the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist breaks his covenant that he's made with Israel uh, and so on. Uh, and, and up until that time, he's been more of a you know, deceiver. He's, he's, he's put himself forth as basically a Christ, a Messiah, and people will follow him. Then he reveals himself for what he is. Now, now um, remember you not, he says in verse 5, that when I was with you, I told you these things. Now, verse 6, okay, this is where this gets to timing here, right? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. He might be revealed is that wicked one talked about in, verse, in the preceding verses, verse 5 and so on. All right, or uh, 3, 4. You know what withholdeth that he, that wicked one, might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. There's already a spirit of Antichrist, according to 1 John chapter 2, in the world. But the Antichrist hasn't got, he's not here yet. Or if he's here, he's not able to be revealed because certain things haven't happened yet. All right? and, and, and there is the spirit of iniquity in this world, but there's going to be the embodiment of iniquity that's coming. I mean... Uh, let me stay on track here. All right, for the, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked, notice, that wicked, it's capitalized, talking about a person, be revealed whom, again, referring to a person, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. All right? For that to happen, Something has to happen first. For the, for the man of sin to be revealed, all right, there's something that has to be taken out of the way because there's something stopping him from being able to be revealed right now. And that's described in those phrases in verse 6 uh, and 8. You know what withholdeth, notice that word withholdeth, then down in verse 8, uh, or no, verse 7, I'm sorry, uh, only he who now letteth will let, all right? Those are, words are all the same, all right? Translated with some variety, but they're all the same. Now, in our English today, all right, this may not seem as what it is, but the word let, we use the word let differently today. A let, let seems to be more used as an allowance, right? I'll let you do this, all right? But... This word let is the idea of restraining something, withholding. In fact, in verse 6, it's withhold, all right? It's all the same word there, all right? But it means to prevent, to hinder, to restrain. So in other words, the wicked one, he can't be revealed because there's something in his way. That something, what do you think that is? All right, he, well, described in two ways, interestingly enough, in verse 6, what withholdeth, and then down in verse 7, 
he that now letteth. All right? Um, somebody turn, if you would, to John chapter 16 and uh, read just a couple verses there. I'm trying to hurry here. Um, so, in other words, there's something that's holding back this wickedness. All right? And, and yes, we'll, we'll just say, okay, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to restrain sin. Now, interestingly enough, God's done this this way, I think, and it was, was, uh, in different ways. Remember back in Noah's day, God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. His days shall be 120 years. So God gave man 120 years before the flood fell. Noah preached righteousness and so on, right? But God said his spirit's not always going to strive with man. Um, I mean, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in this world is to resist sin. Now, who's got John 16? All right, uh, verse 7, we might stop with that, but... Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. All right, so we all realize that that's referring to who? The Holy Spirit being sent by the Lord, right? Now, here's my question. Who is it, or... or Word it this way. Where is the Holy Spirit in this world right now, according to that, those verses? Jesus said He would send the Spirit to you, all right? So in other words, the Holy Spirit is in this world right now, but where is He? Specifically, He's indwelling God's people. And then that passage goes on. I'm trying to remember the numbers, but it says He's going to convict the world, right? Of sin, of righteousness, and judgment, but where is he? In the believers. So how is he doing that? Through the presence and the preaching, if I can say it that way, of God's people in this world, sin is being resisted. As God's people become less and less potent in their job, sin becomes more and more rampant. But there's coming a time when God's going to take that which is withholding out. If he takes the Holy Spirit out, that means he's taking New Testament believers out. Because that's where he is, right? That's where the Holy Spirit is. He indwells believers. Now, there's a sense where God's presence will, I mean, because he's in his, you know, he's everywhere, right? But, but you see the specifics, right? God, there's coming time God's going to take the Holy Spirit out. He's going to take his people out. The Holy Spirit's in his people, so he's going to become an, and, and then the point is, Sin's going to have free course to just do what it wants. Can you, I mean, we can't even imagine how terrible that's going to be. But that's the tribulation time here on the earth. And so, uh, didn't quite get to what I, all that I wanted to here in this, but think about that. It, has, it can only happen after that restrainer is removed, after God's people are removed. Tribulation can't happen until after God's people are removed, according to this passage of Scripture. All right, and we'll just have to leave that at that for now, but let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the promise of the rapture. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.